is Jermaine Health, the center to help you achieve wellness in both your brain and body. We endeavor to encourage cross-communication between health professionals for your health and well-being. We'll bring you topics on functional neurological health, such as neuropsychology, neurobehavior, neuromusculoskeletal, neurogastro, the embodied project, metabolism, and microbiome, which are also some of the services that we provide. So today's episode is a bit of a debrief with you guys on some of the cases that we've seen over the last week or so, uh, with the focus being on the back and lower limb presentations. Dr. Shemaine Wong and our resident physio Sarah Lai with me today. Hello. So say hello, guys. Hello. It's a jump the gun. Didn't give me a chance <laughs> to say. <laughs> So we'll have Sarah talk starting off because I believe she's seen the most out of all, the lot of us this week. Well, it's not that. It's oh. just that um, she's seen quite interesting cases. And because, um, because she is, um, she, she has seen cases that have been treated before as a, I mean, from a physical perspective as compared to our multimodal approach perspective. And it's it's good to hear her paradigm and and how it and and have a compare and contrast really. It gives a gives a lot of our listeners a better understanding of how issues can well how when when a person comes in with an issue it can be quite localized depending on the area that they have the issue at, or that it can be. Um, uh, referral pain from a different compensatory pattern altogether. So that's where we are going to speak about on today and speak about some of the cases. At least one or two of the cases will probably be presented onto, onto Instagram with the range of motion, the difference in the range of motion, especially one in a knee, a knee case with a crossfitter. So that's that's what I think you guys can look forward to. Shall we start with that, Sarah? Put a visual to the podcast for yourself. That's right. Cool. So uh, I think the past month uh, we've had quite a few, actually all of our pain everywhere. <laughs> that's why people come and see us. True. Right? Uh, but we were discussing earlier and we picked out a few that we're going to discuss today. So mm-hmm. I'm going to start off with um, a few cases of lower back pain. Presentation is pretty similar. They come in uh, describing back pain, um, limiting their movement, mostly in flexion, so in touching their toes. Um, so I've, I've got three to share. The first one is a female. She came in with, with lower back pain. I did my typical physio thing. I worked on, <laughs> I worked on her back the first time because it was very acute. It was actually on the day and it was a last minute booking. So being very acute, I just wanted to ease the symptoms so that she can get on with her day and her weekend. And then she came in very quickly in a second. I think, did she see you in between? I'm not sure. That's okay. But she came in within the same week. Um, Pain has improved. Most lower back pain do tend to resolve itself. It's whether it resolves 100% or not. Mm. So the pain has improved. Um, range of motion, she can move a lot more, but it's still there. I broadened my scope. I worked 
down to her hip flexors. This is session three. Yes. Session session two. Session two. So I worked through her hip flexors. I worked through her hamstrings. Actually, her glute was actually quite tight. And that improved her symptoms and movement even more. Um, the third session, actually, she saw Shamin. Uh, Shamin, would you like to share what you found? I think following what Sarah has done for her previously, which it, it was a good thing, because sometimes what happens in in clinic is that if if one of our colleagues have cleared up a particular area or a particular compensatory pattern, it allows me to me or my colleagues to see um, what is the underlying pattern that can come up as well. So for her, after what um, Sarah has done for her, which was a good, uh, it was a really, really good thing, I discovered that a lot of her back pain is originating from both the pelvis floor pelvic floor as well as the um as the neck itself the neck not so much of and it's not so much as to the spine being an issue it's largely in the quality of the uh, tissue tension in the spine uh, in in the cervical area so in, in the neck area what that usually indicates to me is that there's a um accumulation of a lot of uh, lymphatics in that area that is not draining as well so these two areas can contribute to a already um tense system or a system which is under a lot of tension and when to compound that compound that they might be training in a way that is not it's not inappropriate but it may not be as measured as the as it needs to be for cases like that so I went along to um to address those two areas, the tissues in those two areas, and gave her the a measured and prescribed regime. It's not so much the exercise itself for her, I don't think. It's not about exercising, it's the type of exercises that she can do to be able to reduce that tension instead of compounding that tension. So we haven't heard from her fast far it's been about good thing. yeah it's about about three weeks maybe so that's a good thing i i believe that's pretty much it for this particular case how about the case where you experienced the a weekend warrior who does it all and coming in with that back pain sarah yeah i come to like thinking thinking about it retrospectively it completely makes sense so this gentleman was a endurance athlete that transition into the world of CrossFit. So if you can imagine, he's also a desk jockey. So he works at the desk of his job. So he, this is how I see it. When someone tells me they're an endurance athlete, particularly a triathlete, I just see them on a bike, short hip flexors, short everything really. And then if you try to bring that person into strength training and then having to create that range, find that range, to do a heavy, heavy deadlift. That's just like a recipe for back pain. Yeah. So when he first came in, I was pretty sure it was going to be a posterior chain issue. But then as we did more, more of our testing, it turns out it was a more of a hip flexor quad even, yeah, issue. So 
I actually took me quite a while to wrap my head around it. I don't know why, because having just said that, it just makes sense to yeah. me. So it's like, sorry. I was just going to say, oh, <laughs> you just said yeah, so the whole like, time. Retrospection is, is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, on the flip side, today we have another gentleman uh, who, is, who is in the world of strength. Is she running away, away from the field? Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Some days I'm just not that switched on, <laughs> and I admit that. Um, so today we have another gentleman. Now his case was actually posterior chain issue. Yes, yes, yes. I just got the nod of confirmation from Shami. Presenting with back pain, um, he gets a, a pinchy sensation in his back when he goes into his at the bottom of a squat and in the starting position of a deadlift. Um, for this starting position of a deadlift. Yeah, so when you're winding okay, up, creating cool. tension yeah, okay. before you 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 stand up. Yeah, yep. Um. So for him, it was just working through his hamstrings, and we worked on his abs as well, specifically the transversus abdominis, the muscle yeah, that your TA, your TA, yeah. Physios love the TA, the one that hugs your spine. So living up to your physio. <laughs> So it's actually really, really tight. They're giggling. They're, they're just <laughs> laughing. They're trying to contain their... their. It's a, it's a joke. Physios love talking about TA, working on the TA, firing the TA. Yeah. Um, so his was overworked, you'd say. Yeah, Shami is nodding. So um, we released that. He tried to get him to regain his hinge pattern, which would help him with his squat and deadlift. Yeah, anything else to add to that? Three back pain cases. I'm going to put out the question just so that our listeners get an idea. <laughs> Sarah's pulling faces and Shemaine's already giggling in the background waiting for the question. What made you look for the other, what made you look at the back, whether in this case, what made you look at the hip, the hip flexors or what made you look at the quads? What made you look at the glutes versus just the back itself? Because I've learned it's never just the back. only flexes and extends like it's everything else that is attached I'm asking if there's anything specific that made you look in any one of those areas more so than the other well they're moving quite fine really so when when no you can say whatever you want I'm well, asking for, for those who I'm actually asking for what made you look not for what made us look okay so um we do range of motion testing here mm-hmm. yeah so the the biggest one the first thing we get you to do is bend over and touch your toes and reach up to the sky and let's have a look at your back bend. So that's usually a pretty good giveaway. And how they react uh, to actually executing the movement is also a good one. So for the two gentlemen who came in not with acute back pain or so chronic back pain, um, no, their pain wasn't like, it didn't jump, it wasn't aggravated. So, but you can look from your movement pattern that you're short here and there. Yeah. So what made you go with the posterior chain for the guy that was on the bike a lot of the time or in the flex position? Initially. Well, because his his forward bend was pretty short. (laughs) Yeah, he wasn't bending forward very well. Okay. Yeah. So is this a thing that uh, most uh, physios tend to fall into if, if they say that it's a back pain? 
it goes straight to the back and the posterior chain or no no I not, don't want to demonize like no. we're always so like you look it's at the area about, it's, not, it's yeah. not about demonizing because we're trying to find because uh, the chiropractors will do that too yeah. they'll go straight to the spine yeah that's all we go to yeah that's all we go to mm-hmm. they go straight to the spine and um and then try to adjust the L5 hmm. anywhere from L1 to L5 sacrum hips. yeah sacrum or hips right yeah and it depends on the chiropractor and they will choose what kind of um modality to use if yeah. they if they are the um well if they are using the activator um some of you would have gone to a a a gun setup and they would uh, go sit chiropractic and they will adjust you for, uh, adjust your spine spinous process from there either side lying or in all four in all four positions the fist yeah you said awful positions not awful positions <laughs> awful no yeah oh well it's all four on on a you know a, a knee chest bench on oh, yes they wouldn't know that one yeah so, knee, so yeah, knee, it's a it's an roll with the awful position yeah it's an awful position anyway um so with with physio with physios i think that they tend they will tend to do the um the back uh, uh, in in and try to strengthen the glutes from there. I think that's your protocol. That's likely to be the protocol, unless they're doing McKinsey, which is a flexional extension uh, extension giveaway. For the osteos, I'm not sure what they would do, depending on the osteo, os, osteo. I think they go more for the back as well. Yeah. Yeah, from what, yeah. From what I've seen, they tend to go more specific as well so they'll t- they'll follow more your traditional yeah. chiro method so in that sense it's all quite quite localized yeah. to the area so i'm not I'm not demonizing physios here no yeah that's that's not what i mean but what i'm saying is that it's likely across the board that's what's happening is yeah. it commonly seen for you guys for talk because you said because he had the forward po- when he went to touch the toes you went i took it's more likely to be a posterior <laughs> chain yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. is that common well so this is not from what i learned from physio school really it is more from pilates like you do assessments so yep. let's say because you go by postures yep. you have your military posture mm-hmm. you've got your hyperlordotic posture so if you think of a person with a exaggerated back bend I so like hyperlordosis their butt is sticking up mm-hmm. so immediately you think short tight hip flexors short lumbar lumbar extensors yes lumbar extensors um so that's how i was trained to so you're looking at the lower cross syndrome yes that's what yes and no so in my head i you see i see i see what you just described lower cross okay that's what she means yeah in my head i see the the different the skeleton and, and like the big joints yeah and then it's like a pulley system if yeah. you're stuck this is short that is long that's how i see so in in our case we call it the lower cross syndrome hmm. or the upper cross yeah syndrome. also i think i think these days they might be calling the proximal cross and distal cross same thing yeah but it's the same yeah. thing different language same thing yeah. yeah however if that's the case in and of itself it's not dimensional itself it's not dimensional enough to come to that conclusion and as a result of that we tend to look a bit further beyond beyond the, these staples or templates of move, movement so that's where the rotation comes in yeah that's right 
Mm-hmm. Well, there, you, you do know the lumbar spine does have some rotation to it, yeah? Yes. <laughs> We're not picking on her. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm just going to point out the fact that if you rewound, we rewound this um, podcast, this episode, you did say that the lumbar spine just has flexion and extension. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Check the transcript. Yeah. We're glad that you're learning that we've got rotation through there too. <laughs> <laughs> She's making a face, so so we are going to give her a bit of reprieve. Jackie, tell us about your. <laughs> no, you haven't, you haven't gone to the last one. No, I three. You mean we we sort of interrupted your third one by making you go back to your second one. Your third, who was your third person? He's actually a posterior chain. Yeah, so I had an anterior that. chain, a posterior chain, and a. Yeah, I don't think we let you finish the posterior chain one. That's one. Uh, took you backwards. Oh uh, no, we spoke about it. That um, it was just reestablishing his hinge pattern yep. by working on his posterior chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and abs. Oh yeah, TA derailed us. Yeah, it yeah. was okay, a TA yeah, that yeah. derailed us. Yeah, and then went into investigating the physio method versus the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. My one was a fairly obvious one. Would probably be the best way. So I had a case that was a lower limb case, but that was a. Um, in this case, the girls had seen cases that were less specific. So they had the presentation was in one area, but the problem originating problem was in another area. In my case, it was more of a problem area is the problem area. Mm. It was just, as I was telling Shermaine before, it was more of a case of what came first. So I had a presentation, a young girl today, actually, she came in with shin splints or shin splint in her left leg um, and and a locking ankle. As I was telling Shermaine earlier, which one came first, whether it was the ankle locking up causing the shin splints or whether it was the shin splints causing the lock up of the ankle, I said it's that one's difficult to identify because this is the interesting part for you guys. Well, this is the contributing factor in her case. She walked about 900 kilometres. That was the thing. So before before she went on her holidays, so she specifically went on a trip to Europe for it was a hiking trip. I'm pretty sure it was Europe. That was a hiking trip. And this was a, pretty much 30 days of hiking, pretty much 900 kilometers total. Um, so she said it flared up about maybe halfway through. She had a couple of other issues flare up as well. So she did have Achilles. Her Achilles started having issues as well. During, yeah, same leg, same leg. Her Achilles started having issues as well. But then it was shin splints that got really rough for her. So she ended up trying to take weight off her left leg, compensating onto her right leg. Then her right leg started having shin splints. This was all during the hike, um, during her walk. Her right leg ended up having shin splints, but both of them ended up settling a little bit more for her eventually. She ended up, can't say she walked them off. But the right one settled down, so it wasn't a problem for her. But the left one, even by the time she got back from her trip, was still a problem for her. So even when her partner was flying up to meet her up for a, to have holiday beforehand, to before they came back. So it was the same thing. He was trying to figure out how best to address it for her so that she can at least have some ability to walk around the rest of their trip before they got back and we could address this properly. So she, he did spend some time trying to do some muscle stripping for her of the, of the T-band itself, try to strip through that shin for her. Um, most of you guys have a tendency to take out the rolling pin and get onto that when it comes to rolling out the shin. Um, he didn't. He was just using his thumbs for her. That's as best as he could do. 
I think that's the best way. To yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Her thing, her the only thing that she was wanting to him to do was crack the ankle for her to give her that mobility. She's like, it's tight. I need you to just crack it, just mobilize it. But he was, he was just like, I can't get this. He was doing his best to try and at least stretch it for her. Even when they got back, he was trying to stretch it for her, but he, was, he wasn't able to get a release that she was looking for, like that mob, mob, well-mobbed mob, one where you actually will get a movement between the, within the joint. Um, so she, he, he brought her in saying, all right, this is the situation. You know the situation. Let's, let's clear it. So hers was a very obvious one. Even when, to give you an idea of how shin splints, how exaggerated shin splints can be, um, she was even having difficulty with if she had a blanket on her and she tried to lift the foot with the with, tried to lift the blanket with the foot. Even that was painful for her. Mm. So she had lost that strength to even do that's, that. That's really rough. So that's when you know you've got a bad case of of shin splints. And I could totally sympathize with her because I had this scenario myself, and Shemaine's dealt with me in the past with this one so in her case I went in probably the most efficient way that I could think of to get her the most release out of that it's a compressed air it's an area under a lot of tension under a lot of compression I went with dry needling mm. with the with to get the first little holes into those those areas to get some, get some holes through that fascia so that muscle has some ability to, to decompress then I actually followed on with stripping heated it up using tiger balm and stripped through it as well um one to get some blood flow for her as well post the needling but two to actually get some smoothness back into that muscle for her not just having a tight band that we're running up the shin you've got a bone you don't need another tight band associated with it um and that's pretty much it and then it wasn't only until after i'd done the needling and the stripping of the of the shin itself then i actually got into the ankle there was no chance of going into the ankle by itself without releasing the top so i then then got into the ankle mobilized it a bit i actually did needle a little bit i had to needle into the foot as well so her foot had actually because of all the walking her foot had actually I'm trying to demonstrate with my fingers, so I don't know how you guys are going to see my fingers. I was demonstrating it to the girls, not quite sure why, but her, 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 even her toes had become more pulled in together, so the, the, the metatarsals had become more tightened. So the foot, rather than being able to splay out, had become shortened and tight. So I did, tr- I did a couple of spots into there as well for it to open it up, and then once again had to mo- make sure I mobilised every single one of those so instead of a foot she had a hoof and it was a very (laughs) tight tight hoof yeah yeah. (laughs) pretty much so we had i had to get into that one and it was just said again you can clearly hear that the the ankle is still being left to the last part so it was above it below it and then only then did i finally get enough movement through the 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 tendons floating right over the ankle joint itself that I could finally mobilize that. And we did get a nice cavitation out of that one. And she was like, Oh dear God, that feels so much better. <laughs> the, her, her whole ankle, she just felt the release. And now she, and then it was followed up with, and now I feel the shins that you were talking about when you said that my shins are going to feel heavy. <laughs> it was only then that she started for you being able to feel that. So as I said, I was not able, I still can't say which one came first with her, whether it was the ankle was locking, so her inability to move through the ankle itself caused the shin splits, yeah. made that difficulty 
the, the, the foot had to walk, change its way to walk through or whether it was the shin splints that mm. jammed up the ankle because it couldn't it couldn't just move into its plantar dorsiflexion. I know she did struggle with both movements, um, even with the walking previously. So it was uh, which one came first? We couldn't identify, but both of them were just as bad as each other. And in the end, it ended up being I had to release the shins first and the foot itself first before we could do anything with the ankle itself. Yeah. How about um, speaking of RRM, you saw, um, Sarah saw an interesting piece with that today um, for a knee. And maybe we can finish up with that one. So we had a an athlete come in post-comp, pulled up fine, um, but then three days after the comp, his knee blew up to the point that um, pain was described as 7 out of 10. So for a CrossFit athlete, 7 out of 10, you can imagine it would be very, mm. very painful. His knee literally blew up. He couldn't actually extend his leg, so he couldn't straighten his knee up. So he was walking almost. He was limping because there, there was no um, stride mm-hmm. in, in the swollen leg. He was waddling. A little bit, yeah, yeah. So, um, turns out his knee today, even though it was swollen, there was a pain was non existent almost, almost non existent. He just couldn't get the movement. So, if we compare left and right, um, this is the one that we'll, we'll we might put a, a visual video of the knee extension so you can see the knee moving before and after. Turns out it's actually um, a meniscus, a meniscus getting out of position, um, causing the knee to be stuck in inflection. After we moped his meniscus um, and did some around the knee area just to get everything draining, uh, get the the swelling out of his knee, there was marked increase after in terms of range and comfort. Is it one that we have to worry about him having an actual meniscus issue tear potential in there or we just just it's more no, likely it's just it's going to be unlikely of meniscus tear cool. it's just um meniscus entrapment yeah. more, more than anything else yep um this it presents quite differently if it's a tear or a entrapment and when your meniscus is entrapped and you keep going into that range that you're not you that that mechanically you're not supposed to get into frequently your knee would accumulate a lot of fluid, right? And because just because of the inflammation and the um, pressure going through through that joint, and when there's a lot of fluid and um, that uh, motion keeps go uh, keeps repeating itself, it's almost like a well, like you know, another recipe for disaster. Yeah. You don't need a lot of fluidity in your joints to feel tightness. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like it's less than thirty grams, especially yeah. around the knee joint. Yeah, less than thirty grams of yeah. any swelling around any joint will allow will make you feel like you are your knees are tight mm-hmm. or your ankles are tight or your yeah. toes are tight or your hands are tight. Or five meals in your wrist would do that. Yeah, yeah. anything. Any, the the, the more the, the bonier the in other words the bonier the area the bonier the joint the less the less. Information: the less swelling is required before you start having inability to move. Guys, if you like what we're presenting, please give us a thumbs up, a like, or share it with one other person whom you think we may be able to help. 
For those of you who are coaches, dancers, or athletes and find difficulty with expressing or executing movement patterns, please do connect with us on our website, which is www.germainhealth.com.au. And Jermaine Health is spelled J-U-R-M-A-I-N-E, health, H-E-A-L-T-H. Or please socialize with us on our Facebook, which is Jermaine Health, and our Instagram, which is Jermaine Health Body. And last but not least, since this podcast is made for you, our clients, patients, and fans, do let us know what else you might like to hear about. Thanks for today, guys. Thank you. See you.